Brian Shapiro. Brian will talk sports, politics, entertainment, and anything that matters to you. Feel free to call Brian at 702-221-7283. You want answers? I want the truth! Now pushing the limits, here's Brian Shapiro. All right, what's up, everybody? It is uh, Pushing the Limits time on a very beautiful Friday in the Valley. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Broadcasting live, of course, on KSHP and all over social media platforms, whether it be TikTok or YouTube or Facebook or Twitter. We are everywhere. And uh, again, so glad you could join us on this very Friday. We have a lot of topics to get to, a lot to go over here. uh, And uh, what better person to talk about uh, all these crazy trials that are going on right now, legal issues uh, that have made national news, then uh, attorney and former prosecutor Thomas Moskal joining us right now uh, in studio as he does every week. Thomas, thank you so much for being here. How are you? Hey, Brian. I'm doing good, man. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Yes. Looking lavishly uh, good looking as you always do when you come in studio and making me look very man, bad. You're, you started making me feel a little uncomfortable with all the compliments <laughs> I get from you. Well, I mean, you know, like you said a couple minutes ago when we were off the air, I have a face for radio, so I don't disagree with you on that, by the <laughs> you, way. Just saying what you said. Just saying <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree with you. So we're going to talk about a lot of different topics today, right? Of course, the Chris Beard story uh, is a big one. And the reason why it is is because uh, charges were dropped, yet he's still not a basketball coach. We'll get to that a little bit um, later on in the program. Republicans are trying to abolish the uh, IRS. That's an it's interesting move. We'll get to that a little bit later as well. But certainly a trial that you can make the argument, I think, Thomas, that is probably one of the biggest trials in decades is the Alex Murdoch trial. And I, and I think to uh, some other trials back in the day, I would say O.J. Simpson was a pretty big one. Um, and uh, certainly there have been others, but this one has certainly uh, captivated a lot of people and uh, going on as we speak. Yeah. You know, Alex Murdoch, a prominent fourth-generation attorney down there in South Carolina, accused of double murder, murdering his wife and son. Uh, and, you know, look, fourth-generation attorney, he... Uh, He's really well respected in the community down there. Matter prominent fact, guy. Yeah, his his family kind of controlled the prosecutor's office down there. I mean, they've been around for a long time in the legal community. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like that anywhere. So he's on trial right now. They're in day seventeen or day eighteen of trial, and there's been a lot of ups and downs. But here's the breakdown. You know, uh, the guy. It comes comes to light that. His son kills somebody in a DUI boating accident back in 2019. Right. Huge multi million dollar lawsuit coming at him for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he basically what comes to light is he's been embezzling and defrauding his clients and the law firm out of millions and millions of dollars over a 10 year period. Uh, and he was confronted with that the morning of the shooting of his wife and his son. Mm-hmm. Um, also on top of that, what's come to find out is a couple of months after the shooting, he, he calls in that there's been some kind of hit on him, some vigilante hit. He was shot in the head he ends up admitting to police that he organized uh, someone to kill him so that his life insurance could go to his surviving son. So he's sitting on trial down there in South Carolina. They're in day 16, and the trial has uh, – it's, it's a lot of what we call circumstantial evidence mm-hmm. in the case. So, so I, I would say Alex Murdaugh, when, when he was first – Taken into custody, not taken into custody, but interviewed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was giving statements to police. And, of course, what's come to light is they've downloaded the cell phones of his son. They've downloaded the cell phone, his cell phone. They've looked at all the phone records, GPS locations, uh, talked to all the witnesses in the case. And there's been some inconsistencies. 
Well, what the uh, defense is uh, is maintaining here, and by the way, for those of you that are unaware, he's pleaded not guilty to two counts of murder uh, and two counts of weapons charges in the killings. Uh, what the defense is maintaining, that this guy is a loving father and husband who called 911 um, the night of the killings after he found his wife and his son shot at the family's estate in South Carolina. That's what they are claiming. Um, but there are a lot of, and you're right when you say there's a lot of circumstantial evidence. It's not like there's DNA and they, okay, well, we know he did this. We know he did that. Well, so, here's the thing. There's DNA everywhere. Right. It's his DNA. He lives there. So DNA is not going to tell you anything. Right, but I'm saying case. a murder weapon, uh, you know. They is, never found the murder weapon. Right, right. That, they that's, never right. found, um, and this really came to light, his clothes that he was wearing that day. Uh, when you see the video interview that's presented at trial, detectives were always trying to find this white T-shirt that he wore. They sent that off for testing. They sprayed mm-hmm. luminol on it for blood spatter. Mm-hmm. Uh, come to find out, when they downloaded his son's phone, there was a Snapchat of, from earlier in that day where he was wearing a di- he was wearing different he clothes, changed, khakis yeah. and a light blue shirt, yeah. and that he changed clothes. But they're claiming that's not abnormal, especially with the weather and the humidity. That, no, what they're claiming right. is what they're trying to el- el- say is that he wasn't even wearing that because. Because come to find out, when he talks to the housekeeper later, later on, a month down the line, he says, he says to her, she testified. This is riveting testimony. The housekeeper gets on the stand and says, Alex came up to me and he says, hey, remember the day of the shooting? There's this, there's this uh, picture. And I didn't know what he was talking about. But they said, this is this picture. And uh, you remember what I was wearing that day, right? And he kind of tells her, remember what I was wearing? I was wearing this. I was wearing this particular shirt. And she's like thinking about it in her head. She goes, no, you weren't. And actually she testified that he did change clothes that day. And so what the defense is saying is, well, you never, you never asked for these clothes. When they were cross-examining the detective, you never asked for this clothes. You never asked for it. And they really did tear apart the detective like any defense attorney can do. And as a prosecutor, I saw it a million times. All the things the detective did not do that they should have done. Uh, but he changed his outfit. And that that was strange. That was peculiar, right? But if you change your outfit, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a double murderer either. Well, when you if if you do shoot somebody at close range, and that's what the ballistics experts and the blood spatter experts are saying that like these were close range shotgun uh, uh, shots that mm-hmm. were fired. There's going to be blood splatter on your clothes. So if you do commit a murder at close range. The first, yeah, you're going to dispose of your clothes. I don't know how many cases have been solved because you go to the guy's house right. and you find the clothes and you link it through. There's blood of the victim on the clothes. And it's like, how do you explain that? Uh, the, here's Alex's story. Alex's story to police. And you're, what they're maintaining at trial is one thing, but the burden's on the prosecution. So all we're going off of, what is was his story to police? And they played the entire interrogation on video for the jury. His explanation to police is he was at the estate with his wife and son. They have a huge estate. There's a dog kennel that his wife and son went down to. And down at this dog kennel, uh, he says, my wife and son after dinner, they go down to the dog kennel. I don't go with them. I stay up at the house. I take a nap. His mother is very elderly and his dad was very ill. Actually, he he went from like ill to terminal, like right around that time, maybe even that same day. He mm-hmm. goes, I took a nap up upstairs. I didn't go down to the kennel. And then I went to go check on my mom. And when I came back, I found them dead and I called 911. All right. This is where. This is where the circumstantial evidence and people think circumstantial cases aren't strong, but circumstantial evidence just means that this is not direct evidence. No one saw you directly shoot them. So we're linking it by circumstance. Sometimes circumstantial evidence is the strongest evidence in a case. When they download his son's phone, 
they see that his son took a video down there at the kennel of the dogs. Like, hey, right. get back, boy, get back. And you hear his mom's voice. Mm-hmm. And one of the dogs had a bird in his mouth, like some chicken it had caught. And it's running around the yard. And they're like, he's got a bird in his mouth. And you can hear Alex Murdoch going, hey, hey, hey. And multiple witnesses who know the family very well have come up and said, 1,000%. That's Alex Murdoch's voice. 1,000%. Right. So, okay. Why did you tell police you never went down to the dog kennel when we have at 8.47 p.m.? They think the murders happened right then at like 8.50, like right then, right around 9 p.m. That's when the murders, they're linking that together. They go, how, how are you down on a video at the dog kennels right before the murders happened? And then you told police in your interrogation you never went down to the dog kennels. And, and they had uh, friends of the family that testified, I recall, and they all said beyond the shadow of a doubt, 100%, that's Alex Murdoch's voice. Oh, several. They, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's his voice. That's yeah. his voice. That's his yeah. voice. And it wouldn't be anybody else. Yeah. So then you have that. And then he does go to his mom's house, right? And so he says, hey, I was at my mom's house. Basically, they provided a notice of alibi. I was at my mom's house checking on her at the murders, and then I came back. Well, we see you're down at the dog kennels right before the murders, and now you're staying at your mom's house for 40 minutes to an hour. Well, he uh, talks to the housekeeper at at his mom's house and the housekeeper testified the other day she gets on the stand and she goes yeah he he was there for like 20 minutes mm. and you know now look could you be mistaken of 20 minutes or 40 minutes uh as a housekeeper yeah, yeah. but alex needs it to be 40 minutes because 40 minutes means i was not at the murder scene i have an alibi she but, says 20 minutes they download they download his on star from his car mm-hmm. guess what 921 to 941 is when your on star Got was driving away from the there and then leaving. So the 20 minutes is corroborated by OnStar. Guess what? You could have done the murders and then gone to your mom's house. Why? Because you're establishing an alibi. Now you're seeing the theory of the prosecution come forward, right? And then the, the housekeeper says in the same conversation, he goes, hey, aren't you getting married soon? You're going to be getting married, right? <laughs> Weddings are expensive. Uh, let me know. Let me know. I'm going to help you out with it. And then after, And then he actually told her. If anybody asks, I was here for forty minutes. Yeah, very bizarre behavior. I mean, come yeah. on. Now you're now you're sitting in there going, All right, how do you explain so listen, this away? Thomas, I believe that uh he killed his son and his wife. Okay. I believe this happened. The problem is and I'm not saying you can't be convicted without a murder weapon. I'm not saying you can't be convicted uh without other evidence that clearly has not been provided by the prosecution in this case i do believe he's guilty however we don't have a murder weapon we don't have the clothes that he was wearing allegedly when the murder took place that's an issue i'm not i believe he's guilty based on what you just spoke about him lying about where he was at that time is to me first of all the only reason why you would lie about something like that is if you were guilty. Let's just call it for what it is. He doesn't have Alzheimer's, okay? He's not the kind of guy that has a medical history of being forgetful. Um, the only reason why you lie about something like that is if if you're guilty. Well, Let's- everybody on the jury is going to be wondering, if your wife and son were just murdered, why Yeah, why would you say you never went down to the kennels? You lied. Yeah. And then the the house and then you're telling your housekeeper later yeah. hey remember what i was wearing there's a picture out there i'm kind of worried yeah uh t- say i was wearing this mm-hmm. and then why 
would you go to your mom's house and then tell her caretaker, mm-hmm. hey, I was here for 40 minutes, well, and, then, because, and then offer money? Because so, he just killed two members of his family. That's well, why. Well, he's trying to establish an alibi. Of course. So the cell phones tell all, right? Yeah. So they get this cell phone forensic expert on the stand, and this cell phone forensic expert says, hey, we're looking at every time you pick up, you know, I got an iPad right here. Mm-hmm. Every time you pick up uh, your cell phone and you switch it around, it records an orientation change, even if the screen doesn't light up, because I went from vertical to horizontal, right? Every time you touch a button or anything, you notice your phone lights up, there's notifications, it records that. And this is how they're timing the death here, because the whole Alex Murdoch, for him to mount a credible defense, he has to basically corroborate his own story to police that night. So the timing of the death of his wife and son has to be wrong. And so what prosecutors are relying on is cell phone evidence going, hey, we're getting cell phone uh, action on these phones. And then at a certain point in time, right around 8.50, 8.55 p.m., there's no action for about an hour on those phones. And they lock. And they're never unlocked again. So we think that the wife and son were murdered right around that time. With all the uh, evidence that we've talked about here and, and thus far in the trial, which is clearly not over yet, by the way. Well, the defense hasn't even started presenting their case. Right, right. It's it's not even half over yet, really. Um, do you believe that the jury will find Alex Mordar guilty of double murder? I think I think the real damning piece of evidence in the case is He's down at the kennels with his wife and son, and he lied to police about ever going to the kennels. You might be mistaken about a few minutes here and there. You might be mistaken about those things. But to say I was never down at the kennels with them when, in fact, you were down at the dog kennels with them, and there's video corroborating that. And what it looks like is these phones were manipulated around 10 after he made the 911 call. It looks like these phones were manipulated, the wife and son's phone. The orientation changes, the screens were lit up, tried to interact with Siri. Do you know how on your iPhone you can kind of pull your camera up without unlocking it? You can take a picture. Oh, you don't have an iPhone. I don't. You got to upgrade, man. I got a droid. Yeah, but on an iPhone, uh, you can actually open up your camera without unlocking your phone and take a picture. And someone was trying to do that. So it looks like Alex Murdoch was actually trying to get into maybe his son's phone after he called 911. So... These kinds of things, there's no explanation for it. Now, he's presumed innocent, but he almost needs to take the stand to try to explain some of this away. But, man, he, he'll get roasted on cross-examination by the prosecutors for the inconsistencies about the dog kennel video. And then the Snapchat photo, you, you know, you have that, too. So what, what, come, what comes to light is the CEO from his law firm testifies that we— started finding out that there's a lot of money missing millions. We're talking seven, eight figures, millions are missing. And I confronted him and it was the morning of the shootings. He said, he went over to his office and said, Alec, you need, I think that the client funds went directly into your personal bank account and you need to prove it to me, prove it, disprove that right now. And then he just kind of said, yeah, I'll be on it. I know, you know, you're wrong. Da, 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 da. And, what came to find out is after the killings, of course, the whole legal community there got behind him. And his own legal secretary said months later, come to find out through tracing the checks that he did actually deposit some of these checks into his account and been ongoing for some time. Mm-hmm. But at the moment after the killings happened, it was like uh, embezzlement. The law firm was like, what embezzlement? Like they were just they were worried about his mental health, his emotional health. Mm-hmm. They were coming to his defense. And so that's the theory of the prosecution bringing in. Uh, they br- basically brought the whole thing into this trial. And he admitted that he stole the money to police after this. He admitted it completely. 
they, they brought this all into the trial saying his motive for killing his wife and son, because this is what it comes down to, right? This is a whodunit. Was it Alex Murdaugh or not? So why, what would be your motive for, what would be your motive for killing your wife and son? And what they're trying to say is, well, he had these financial troubles. He had the lawsuit that was coming down, and then he was getting caught by his law firm. But there's no life insurance money. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really make sense, right? So what the prosecutors are trying to say is he was just trying to buy himself some time. He was panicked, and he was trying to t- delay uh, the lawsuit and also trying to uh, delay, buy himself some time, his law firm coming after him. So he decided to kill his wife and son. And then his, since his son was really the culprit in the DUI boating accident, maybe that would have um, been deflected somewhat if his son was out of the picture. This, this to me, represents one of the biggest issues in the case uh, for appeal, legal reasons. The judge allowed this in because you're not allowed to try somebody like, let, let's say you commit an armed robbery. It, I can't just bring in, um, you know, some theft case that you did three weeks prior unless there's a reason for me to bring it into your armed robbery case mm-hmm. because you're just painting you, you as a bad person. And so the reason the prosecution gave is like it goes towards motive and it goes towards ID. And the judge says it does. But I haven't seen appellate courts really frown on bringing past crimes in or past bad acts is what we call them, unless it's really probative on an issue in the case. And it's not unfairly prejudicial, meaning the jury's not going to look at you like you're, you're a piece of scum because you're doing this bad stuff. And now we're going to convict you on this crime. And I haven't seen a lot of case law where it's easy if there was life insurance proceeds. It's like, of course, he needed the money. Okay, we're bringing this in. Right. But the, he didn't stand to benefit financially. So the theory is that he's deflecting attention by killing his wife and son. That That is going to be a big issue on appeal in this case. Um, if convicted, and it looks like, based on the evidence I've seen in trial, that he will be convicted. But look, there's 12 jurors, and you're right. They didn't find a murder weapon. But that could be a basis for reversal. Courts love to reverse cases for um, trial judges uh, mistakenly letting in really bad stuff. And so what the trial j- judge did say is, we're not going to let you bring in the two months after the fact where he organized the hit on himself. We're not going to let you bring that in. Prosecutors wanted to bring that in too. I read an article that um, he was spending upwards of $50,000 a week on drugs. Yeah, 50000 a week. That's or a lot of money. 50000 <laughs> a month. There's no way, Brian. I mean... I'm not in the drug world, and I know he's prominent, so he's like getting the good stuff. Fifty thousand a week on drugs—it's a lot of money. On drugs, how much drugs can you do? Well, it's not like he was going; he had a pill problem. It's not like he was going in like drugs and hookers. He was home. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's a good point, but um, I don't know what drugs cost because I don't do drugs. But uh, that's the story that's out there. Um, clearly, he had an issue with taking a lot of pills, and but fifty thousand dollars does seem a bit excessive. It, it a is. week he's spending two hundred thousand dollars a month. It is, but the defense is going along with this because here's what they're trying to say: they're going. He admitted he stole the money from the law firm. He admitted he stole money from clients. He admitted that he has a big drug problem. Okay. And I don't know if you ever seen Devil's Advocate with Keanu Reeves. I did. All right. Well, you remember the guy who used to play coach? Yep. And he was the bad guy, right? Yep. And what did Keanu Reeves start out with? He goes, I don't like my client. Mm-hmm. He's this, he's that, he's this, he's that, but he's yep. not a murderer. You know? And that's kind of like what they're going with. Like, he, look, he was honest about all this. 
But I'll tell you, here's here's what really ha- this is a bombshell a couple days ago because the judge said you can't bring in the stuff about um, the roadside shooting that he organized on himself. You can't bring that in, right? So the defense gets up in cross examination of the lead detective in the case and starts poking holes. They're starting to plant the seed for there's alternate suspects you did not investigate, right? Mm-hmm. That's a good defense strategy, right? Mm-hmm. If it's not Alex Murdoch, who was it? And so you attack the police by saying, you didn't investigate all the leads. You just focused in on Alex Murdoch, and this is who you came after, and you did A, B, C, D wrong. But look, there's other people. And they start saying, well, you knew he had a drug problem, right? They go, yeah, yeah. And you knew he had a lot, he owed people a lot of money. He owed a lot of, he owed some bad people some money, right? He goes, yes. And he goes, all right. One of those guys was this guy, Cousin Eddie. Cousin Eddie is uh, the guy who actually did the roadside shooting on him that organized it. Cousin Eddie's like part of the Aryan Brotherhood or something, and he's connected to these drug dealers. And so they're going, all right, so Cousin Eddie, did you ever download his cell phone? No. Did you ever investigate all the drug dealers that are you've known in this, in this gang uh, that they, they could do a vigilante hit and send a message to Alec Murdoch. We want our money. And the officer's like, well, the detective's like, well, no, they weren't. Well, the word on the street was, and look, this is that they weren't worried about getting their money because Alec Murdoch got money. Right. They're going to get their money. Right. Right? right. And so they weren't worried about that. Uh, but what happened is, look, the detective knows before he gets on the stand. The defense attorneys know. The prosecutor knows. Look, this whole thing about the roadside shooting can't come in. So even the detective on the stand, he's like watching how he's answering stuff because he knows I don't want to jeopardize the prosecution here. And the judge said we can't talk about this. But the defense is really creeping around Mm -hmm. saying all these alternate suspects. And so they go for a break. They go for lunch and they come back from lunch. And the prosecutor goes, judge, uh, before they continue their cross-examination, man, I think they opened the door Mm. to this roadside shooting. And the judge goes, I agree. I agree. You tried to dance. You tried to dance through the fire. And because well, here's the thing. Let's say we're in a trial, you and I, and I'm defending you. And we do a motion to suppress the search of your house where they found all these drugs. And I win the suppression motion. The search, the warrant. They didn't get a warrant. They shouldn't have been in there. The drugs don't come in. Okay. All right. We go to trial. That's a huge win for us. I, they can't bring the drugs in, but they think they have a case against you some other way. Well, I cannot now at insinuate through my opening argument, through my questioning of witnesses at all, that you did not have drugs found in the house. Like, I can't go up there and go, so detective, I mean, uh, it's not like you didn't recover drugs from the house, right? All of a sudden, it's like you just opened the door to it. It's one thing to suppress evidence. It's another thing to lie to the jury or misrepresent what the real facts are. So now that he's going all these alternate suspects, it's like, Bro, these aren't alternate suspects. We know Cousin Eddie didn't do it because Cousin Eddie was the shooter in your roadside shooting who you worked with to try and get your life insurance money. And you know all these gang members. There's this huge relationship there. So the prosecutor comes back from lunch and says, they opened the door. They opened the yep. door. And the defense did. And it was a huge mistake. And mm-hmm. I've seen it a million times. I've seen it a million times from defense attorneys. They Because they're trying to establish their defense. But in trying to do that, they... uh they try to dance through the fire. And I've been in trials where prosecutors, we sit back and we're like, all oh, this questioning, mm-hmm. they're opening the door and we're chomping at the bit as a prosecutor. You're going, oh, God, we wanted this evidence in so bad. And 
maybe if the judge had just let us bring it in originally, it would be an issue on appeal, like the fraud, like the financial fraud stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you open the door to it, you can't put a fraud on the jury. Right. So now it's like it's wide open. But what was really funny, and I've seen these prosecutors make a lot of missteps, is the prosecutors come back from lunch in the middle of cross-examination go, judge, he opened the door. He opened the door. He opened the door. And the judge is like, okay, he's in the middle of cross-examination. Like, this isn't the time for you to bring this up, right? And he's like, well, Judge, I I just feel like I should be able to ask all these questions about the roadside shooting. We should be able to get into this. And the judge goes, you want to ask the questions right now? He's in the middle of cross-examination. You can't ask the question. He goes, I just, I think they opened the door. And finally, the judge goes, I agree with you, Mm -hmm. but let him finish his cross. And this is when I look at these prosecutors like amateur hour. I've seen this from these prosecutors a lot in this trial. Amateur hour is if a guy's opening the door, okay? It's like if you go fishing, you go, oh, the fish is nibbling, it's nibbling, it's nibbling. And you, all of a sudden you're jerking your, th- you're jerking your fishing rod out. You're not getting him on the hook. You got to let him set that hook. So right. you go to lunch and you're all excited. You're sitting there at lunch going, man, they're opening the door. We're going to get this roadside shooting in. Can you mm-hmm. believe this? Um, and then you come back from lunch, you sit down and you let him finish his cross and you let him dig even deeper and deeper. And then before you start your redirect, which means, you know, the prosecutor gets to get up again after cross and do redirect. You go, judge, can we approach or excuse the jury? I got to bring something up. Yeah. After he's completely. But what you're, what they did, if he had not, if the judge wasn't in agreement, they fully opened the door. You're basically telling the defense, like, watch it. You better watch out. So I was like, that was pretty amateur hour. But the judge agreed and said, okay, uh, you can, um, you're going to get into the roadside shooting. So the defense goes back. And since it's all on YouTube now, the defense goes back after the trial and they, Watch YouTube, and they come in the next day and go, Judge, we did some research. They had a case, State v. Hayward, a South Carolina case about bringing in bad acts. And they're like, we did not open the door on this. I went back to YouTube. This is what I said, A, B, C, D. I didn't open the door. And the judge is like, okay, you kind of cherry-picked a few things that you asked yesterday, which was not the bulk of why I said you opened the door. Uh, But they tried to make a record because they knew they stepped in it. Mm Mm-hmm. So then they step in it even further. They go, all right. They said, we've talked to the prosecutor. We're objecting to this testimony, but if it's going to come in, we're going to let him bring everything about the roadside shooting in through the detective who investigated the roadside shooting, meaning hearsay. You've heard of hearsay, yeah. right? They're like, we're just going to allow, we, you don't need to bring in the 911 callers. You don't need to bring in the doctors who treated him uh, for his, his gunshot to the head. You don't need to bring in the witnesses. You don't need to bring in cousin Eddie. You don't need to bring in any of these people. Just get in all through your detective because we're just going to be, you know, expedient for trial. We've been in trial for two weeks and so we'll do it that way. And a pros- I'm going to tell you as a prosecutor, defense attorneys always do that. And we love it. We loved it as prosecutors. Mm-hmm. We go, wow, because I, without you agreeing as a defense attorney to let me just bring it all in through my detective because it's hearsay. He doesn't know what the doctors did. He doesn't know what the EMT saw. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have direct knowledge. You can only testify in trial the things you have direct knowledge of. So the prosecutors are sitting there. We can get all this roadside shooting stuff in. But my first thing, I, if I was them, I'd go, but it's not like we had the EMT sitting outside the courthouse. The 911 dispatcher subpoenaed for trial. Right. Cousin Eddie ready to go. We don't, and like literally we're going to, we're at the end of our case in chief. Like we need to have these witnesses here. The judge is going to go, yeah, let's just pause trial for a week so you can get all these people together. Right. The judge is going to say, no, you're not ready to go with it. We're, we're going to end your case. And so you're sitting there like, damn, how am I going to get these people in? And then the defense goes, so you go over there and go, hey, and this is what prosecutors do. It's called 
sliding the ball past the goalie, right? You go, hey, it's like, look, man, we're in trial for three weeks. Do you want me to bring all these witnesses in? It's going to look so bad for your guy when I bring all these witnesses in. Uh, I just come and get it in through the detective. And the defense yeah. goes, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And so the prosecutor, this was not amateur hour. The prosecutor gets up and says, uh, I just want you to know, Judge, we're in agreement with all this. The defense says, yeah, we're in agreement with everything. We're objecting to the, to the testimony coming in, but if if it's going to come in, we're in agreement to how it's going to come in. And the prosecutor goes, just for the record, this is a tactical, strategic decision on the defense. So on appeal later, it's like, hey, because post-conviction attorney is going to look at that and go, how could you not make them bring all these witnesses mm-hmm. in and do it the right way? Because they might not be ready to do it. So the prosecutor did a good move there. When you see it really come back to bite them in the foot is today's testimony. Okay. The detective from the roadside shooting comes on and he testifies. The prosecutor gets everything he wants out of him Mm -hmm. and the defense goes up to cross examine him. And the defense thinks I'm going to be able to cross examine him on all the issues that you were able to ask him questions on. And the defense says, so um, basically he was shot in the head, right? And here's how detectives are on the stand. You know, they know you're trying to basically blow up their prosecution. So as a defense attorney, the de- detective's never going to give you an inch on anything. So he goes, uh, I just know what um, the doctors were saying. He goes, okay. So the defense is like, you're not even going to agree that he was shot in the head here. Did you review the medical records? I did not. No. And he goes, uh, well, yeah, the detective goes, well, I, b- I believe I did. He goes, all right. Can I, can I approach? I have the medical Wait, records so the right attorney, here. Take so a look at this. Oh, jeez. And so this goes on for 20 minutes. Yeah. Finally, he goes, would you agree the medical records state that he has a gunshot to the head? And the guy goes, well, I'm not a doctor. I can't read these medical records. So do you think he even reviewed them? The detective? Yeah. At some point, he probably looked at probably them. Probably just skimmed them know? over. But, but yeah. here's, the, here's the whole point. He hmm. doesn't have direct – he's not a doctor. He didn't diagnose. So he can always fall back and say, "I look, I saw – he goes, I saw a laceration to the back of his head when I got to the hospital that would have been consistent with a gunshot wound. But I didn't, I'm not a doctor. And now the, the guy's like, the defense attorney's like, listen, all right, did you ever tell Alex's sister that he was shot in the head? And the, the detective's like, mm. and he goes, I ha- it's a recorded phone call. I could play it for you right now. And the detective's like, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not disputing that it happened. I just don't remember recalling actually telling her that. He goes, mm-hmm. he goes I'm not disputing that Alex was shot in the head. And the, after 20 minutes, the defense attorney goes, I mean, I think we're having a problem communicating. I mean, it took you 20 minutes to finally say that he was shot in the head. That's all I'm trying to get out of you. And this is how the detective was for the, all the testimony. Right. And so not only did you let the prosecutor get it all in through the detective, now all your modes of cross-examination on this detective are frustrated by a guy who is a professional frustrator on the stand of defense attorneys. And it's a big misstep by them. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. But I, I would be remiss if I said I didn't see that happen all the time. Mm-hmm. But you would think in a trial. I understand when a defense attorney wants to get back to his office to sign another client. But this guy Harputlian and his co-counsel, I mean, this is like trial of the year for them, maybe trial of the decade for them. It's on national TV. Everybody's watching it. Right. If this trial has to go another week, make it go another week. You make the prosecutor bring those witnesses in. Because mm-hmm. if they can't bring the doctor in, well, guess what? A lot of this stuff from the, the the detective comes in after the fact. He doesn't have personal knowledge of anything. So, a uh, huge misstep by the defense. I don't. I don't. I don't think that's what's going to lead to his conviction. Uh, but the fact that they opened the door to this coming in, then they let the prosecutor just squeeze it in the way he has. Uh, am is I call it? It's amateur hour again. I do believe that uh, he will be found guilty. I believe Murdoch will be going to jail for the rest of his life. Um, maybe. 
parole, possibility of parole in 30, 40 years. But that's what I believe is going to happen. We'll have to wait and see what happens because, as I said, we're barely halfway through this trial. The defense hasn't even had an opportunity yet. So, Well, let me tell you this. What do you think about this? Um, they get the blood splatter expert guy and the ballistics and everything that show. Uh, and I don't know. Do you shoot firearms? Have you ever shot a shotgun? I have. Okay. Yep. That shotgun stock has to be right up against your shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. These things kick like a mule. So the, the son was shot twice with a shotgun. And so one trajectory was parallel to the ground as if you were holding it shoulder stock, the stock to your shoulder, the way you should. The second shot looks like it was coming from an angle down low. And the defense really made a big point of this when they were crossing the blood splatter expert, Dr. Kinsey, uh, that it was a low angle. And everybody who shot a shotgun knows, like, you would never shoot a shotgun from that angle. And the right. prosecution's trying to say, well, you know, these shooting, shooting, uh, scenes are fluid the the victims moving the shooters moving but they made a big point of that second shot coming low and what they're trying to say is this this is the kind of how they're trying to paint this picture is look maybe there was multiple shooters there it wasn't alec murdoch he was not on the property multiple shooters came in because why would you have those two very very distinct angles the first guy if he's shooting up top why would his second shot come to where he's almost holding it to where he has to crouch down hmm. to where yeah. He has to shoot at an upward angle. Right. And so that's, that's kind of what they're painting. So what do you make of that? Uh, as far as the shooting angles go, uh, I'm not really a, a professional. I understand what they're trying to do. Um, I think there could be a number of different reasons why those angles were what they were. What we do know, and, and again, I go back to what we said to start, and then we'll take a break. Uh, this guy's lying. He's lying about multiple things. It's been proven. He's not telling the truth. I don't care what he's told the truth in the past about stealing money from clients, whatever. So what? To me, that's irrelevant. We're talking about two people that are dead that were murdered. We're talking about a member of the family that is lying about where he was at the time of their deaths. To me, that is the biggest evidence. Why would he be lying about it, where he was, when his son was murdered and his wife to me, that speaks volumes, and I know we don't have a murder weapon, and I know that uh, not everything is perfect here. We don't have his clothing when uh, the murder allegedly took place. But what we do know is that he's lying. He's lying about where he was. He's trying to find out an alibi, and that speaks to one thing and one thing only. I believe he's guilty. Will the jury find him guilty? I hope so. We'll have to uh, wait and see what happens. Uh, Thomas Moskal joining us, former prosecutor, talking, of course, about the Alex Murdoch case. We're going to take a break if you want to give us a call, 702-221-7283. Again, that number to call if you want to be a part of the program is 702-221-7283 and uh, we have a lot of other topics to get to as well during the show uh, including Chris Beard Uh, we've talked about this with Thomas Moskal here Uh, guy lost his job great basketball coach I don't think anybody would debate that Uh, no longer a coach University of Texas well guess what yesterday Texas prosecutor uh, moved to dismiss the felony domestic violence charges but he's still jobless this is a very interesting situation. I have some strong opinions on that. We'll talk about that and much more and take your calls on the other side. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. Hey, everybody. Are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east 
of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super. Hero, that is. Because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Hey, everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment, and work injuries. You name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams, treatments such as testosterone enhancement, and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices, office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. As a three-time international award-winning restaurant, Joe's New York Pizza uses only the freshest and best available ingredients. From giant slices of hand-tossed pie to calzones, strombolis, fingers, and wings, Joe's serves all your favorites. Stop in for a slice at one of their two Las Vegas locations at Paradise and Harmon or South Las Vegas Boulevard, or you can check out their menu at joesnewyorkpizzalv.com. STN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. STN Sports has it all. In-play betting, mobile parlay cards, the Play Plus card to fund and withdraw from anywhere in Nevada, and the latest lines on every game. STN Sports even lets you earn rewards on every bet. Safe and easy betting from your phone or tablet. Go to StationCasinoSports.com or sign up at any Station Casino, Fiesta Wildfire, or the El Cortez. Details at the Sportsbooks. A great time! Your entertainment destination, the South Point, invites you to experience the ultimate great time under one roof. Bowling, dancing, a live show, a movie, delicious dining, and one of South Point's 11 restaurants. So much to see, so much to do, you won't know where to start first. This week, make it a South Point week and discover for yourself why the South Point is your entertainment destination for a great time.
All right. Welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Friday. So glad that you could join us. We got former prosecutor Thomas Moskal in studio. Uh, I wish I said uh, I wish I could tell you guys that we have all these great sporting events in Vegas this weekend. We kind of don't. <laughs> uh, no, uh, no NFL. It's kind of depressing. No NFL. Oh, we do have Vegas Golden Knights. We got some NHL. Um, no NFL, uh, no college basketball, but hey, March is right around the corner. So I'm certainly looking forward to that March Madness. We were talking about the Alex Murdoch case, of course, and uh, it's a big trial, uh, you know, uh, televised national to an audience, a national audience. And uh, like we said, the defense hasn't had an opportunity yet to uh, speak uh, their case. Uh, you, but I, You know what's funny? That his name is Alec Murdoch. Yeah, you never want your client to be named Murda when you're on trial for Murda. <laughs> that is true. You know, he's like, no, it's, it's a bad last It's Murda. It's Murda. It's like, oh, sorry. If I was a prosecutor, I'd go, Miss, Mr. Murda. Mr. Murda. I would be saying it all trial, man. That's true. It's a bad, <laughs> it's a bad last name. I object, Your Honor. My client Murda is it's innocent Murda. of murder. Yeah, oh, that's, oh, sorry. It's not, not sorry. a good, not a good last name. So if it's okay, I want to dive into, um, some other legal topics with you. Uh, and one of them is, of course, Chris Beard. And the reason why I wanted to bring up Chris Beard is because, well, first of all, um, Chris Beard was, the head UNLV basketball coach for like a week. <laughs> it's about all, all the time it lasted. But um, big national news a few months ago, and we've talked about this case, uh, the domestic violence uh, charges that were against uh, this man. Now, happens to be a very successful basketball coach, right? He's won a lot of games. He's at University of Texas. And uh, based on the evidence and based on the police report, it does appear that he and his, I believe it's his fiance. Uh, got into a, a skirmish, a, a, a physical altercation, a domestic dispute where the claiming on the police report was that he bruised her, he strangled her, so on and so forth. What happens? The University of Texas fires Chris Beard. Chris Beard's fired. But now we've just learned uh, this week that uh, the Texas prosecutor has moved to dismiss a felony domestic violence case uh, against the uh, former Longhorn men's basketball coach, uh, in part because of the alleged victim's wishes not to prosecute. We talked about this before. Um, this is an interesting case for a lot of different reasons. We see this in a lot of domestic violence disputes where, uh, at first, the victim tells police one story and then is hours, days, weeks, months go by, the alleged victim changes their story. And it is very difficult, not impossible, but very difficult for a prosecutor to prosecute, especially on a domestic violence charge, when the alleged victim says, no, that didn't happen now, and changes their story a little bit. That appears yeah, it's, to be it's kind of tough when you go to trial and the victim in the case gets on the stand and goes, "Yeah, no, he didn't commit the crime. Right, right. Yeah, and that's I think, called a reasonable doubt. But I think we know. <laughs> I think we know um, what happened here, for the most part. I think you jumped to conclusions on this, though. No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm an opinionated talk show host. You're, you know, again, um, you know, I'm not. Speaking. You think he did it? Um, well, I'm going to be completely honest with you, and I know that you know you're coming from this from the legal perspective. I, 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 I speculate a lot, and I put a lot of opinions out there. My personal opinion is that Chris Beard. Even if he was acting in self-defense, he could have walked away. He could have left the house. Instead, he stayed there. I do believe he strangled her. I do believe he bruised her. Okay, even the statement to police that night, she didn't say she was strangled. That's what okay. police alleged. No, they never said strangled. In, in the police report, they said that the he put strangled? his hands around her neck. 
When you're you strangled, you're saying that, yeah, hands around the neck, like being choked. Well, in the police report, they said that they believed that he put his hands from behind around her neck. There, no, it was more of like... Like a chokehold? More of like, yeah, you know, a little okay. headlock. So, so when you say you believe he strangled her, you're like, oh, he's like choking well, her out. And even her statement to police originally, which she says she didn't even say, she said she didn't even say that to police. She says... uh, yeah, it was like for half a second. All right, so if it was so, a chokehold, I mean, if I if I if I grabbed fine. for half a second, would you come out the next week and go, Tommy strangled me? Well, it depends. Uh, what I literally did this for half well, a second. It man. depends on the circumstance. The claim was that she had bruises on her body that he dragged her across the room. Um, here's the bottom line, and and again, in my opinion, um, you never put your hands on a woman uh, if he wants to claim self defense. He should have just left the house. There's plenty of other things he could have done to get himself out of that situation. He didn't do it. He also, Can a man defend himself against a woman? Uh, yes, absolutely. Are you allowed to do it? Absolutely, but I don't believe this was 100% self-defense. I believe there was negligence but, on his part. But what you're saying is, even if it was self-defense, I mean, look, here's the thing. The allegation from her in the police report was he drug her off the bed, right, and that choked her for... Half a second with not even the hand. I hate, I keep doing this because you said strangle, but it wasn't even the allegation of that. So this wasn't some long drawn out like fight and beating. And so if it was self-defense, uh, can a man not defend himself for five seconds while no, he's being uh, attacked by his woman? I, I believe, of course. Yeah, you're supposed to like walk out of the house and just start taking the beating? Well, I don't believe this lasted five seconds. Um, I, I don't buy that for a second. Uh, I believe it lasted a lot longer than that. And by the way, if it did last for five seconds, why didn't Chris Beard release audio? If it lasted for five seconds, the proof would have been in the pudding in the audio that Chris Beard claimed he had that he would not give up to police. If the skirmish lasted for five seconds... Police could have got it from him. Okay, well, they asked him for it, and he denied it. That yeah, tells me you one go and thing. get a search warrant. That tells me that he was hiding something. So... If the skirmish, even with just audio, not video, only lasted five seconds, you'd, for the most part, probably be able to hear that in the audio. So I'm not buying the fact that it only lasted yeah, five seconds. Yeah, but you don't – look, you don't give audio over to people who are building a case against you. When, okay, when well, the victim in your case, your own wife, is coming out and saying, I didn't tell I that just, to police. He, I'm not, he was acting in self-defense. I'm going to sign an affidavit saying that and that I don't want prosecution and that – so the question is this. If his wife really said all those things – uh, and she's saying, saying that she didn't, what, the police didn't have their body cams on or record her statements? I mean, that's how you usually do domestic violence All cases. I'm saying is that if it only lasted five seconds and it was clearly self-defense, that would have defended Chris Beard. He refused to hand it over to no, police. No, when, when you hand it to police and prosecutors, they go, we're not listening. Oh, it's only five seconds. That's self-defense. We're going, oh, that's five seconds of evidence for us to use against well, you. Well, the defense would now be able it, to— now, now we're going to be able to say there was a fight. Well, I'm not— I'm not just going by that, but again, if, if 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 Chris Beard had no negligence here, I believe he would have turned that over. That's number one. I know a lot of people in the coaching world that know Chris Beard, um, and they weren't surprised by this event. Again, that's you know you could call it in your terms circumstantial. But uh, well, I told you in the Alec Murdoch bit, but, I said circumstantial evidence can be some of the best evidence. Understood. But here's but, here's the thing: all they have here is not circumstance. They have direct evidence. It's the victim's statement after it happened. And then she recanted her statement. She even said she she even said police misreported her statement. She didn't even recant it. She said, I never said that. Well, there's a lot of money here. We're talking tens of millions of dollars in Chris Beard's contract. 
He's already lost his job. The University of Texas um, will not be rehiring him. And by the way, I commend them because they have set a precedence and they basically said, and it's in his contract, you don't have to be convicted of a crime for us to fire you. We can fire you with cause if we think this does not represent the university or represents the university in a bad way. That's number one. Um, well, I want to say this. I'm not justifying him putting his hands around her neck. I'm saying the police report didn't even say that she said his, her, his hands were around her neck. Okay, I just want to make that clear. I'm not justifying that he, that, oh, it's okay to choke a woman. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you're taking the police report, if you, for true, it didn't even really say that in the police report, you know? And the reason why they call, charged him with a felony is because whenever you do a domestic violence, if there's any kind of strangulation, mm-hmm. and under the law, there's a definition of strangulation. And strangulation means you cut off air supply. Even yep. if it's for a millisecond, it can be charged as strangulation. But let me tell you this. When you're prosecuting domestic violence, especially felony cases, and you're going to jury trial, there's good cases and there's weak cases, right? And what we're looking for when we go to trial, when we pick 12 jurors to spend a week or two weeks or three weeks of their life and all this taxpayer money, we always have to look at a case for jury appeal, okay? And jury appeal means the jury feels justified that they're sitting there. And even if this domestic violence did happen, and even if she was, had her air circulation cut off a little bit, when the victim gets on the stand and says, no, it was self-defense, and no, he didn't do that, and no, I don't want prosecution of him, the jury sits there and goes, what the hell are we doing here? Why are we doing this? And they might even nullify a verdict. Even if there was some evidence, they go, we're not convicting him of it. His wife doesn't want the prosecution and this and i prosecute some bad guys where they shot their girlfriend where it's like okay even if the girlfriend gets up there and goes don't prosecute him it's like look he basically shot you four times girl like we're we're convicting him that's jury appeal so at best if i was a prosecutor down in that office i'd go we're definitely not trying him on this felony charge at best we go down to a misdemeanor battery domestic violence a misdemeanor trial and try to convict him of a misdemeanor. Listen, the reason like, why on the, the reason why they're not tra- they dismiss the charges is because his fiance uh, and the statements that she has made. Uh, let's call it for what it is. I don't believe uh, Chris Beard is one hundred percent innocent. I believe uh, his behavior. Uh, I, I believe it, the defense of the University of Texas and firing him. It's an embarrassment to the basketball program and the university. Uh, Chris Beard's going to be just fine. Is this going to cost him some money? Absolutely. Uh, he was on a, a huge $20 million contract at the University of Texas. But the bottom line here is this. He's going to be coaching somewhere else. Uh, the fact that he hasn't been convicted of a crime means, at least tells me that he will probably be coaching college basketball somewhere next year. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. Difficult hire still, though, even though he hasn't been convicted of a crime. Still, you know, uh, Chris Beard isn't in the good graces of a lot of athletic directors across the country. Now, I believe Chris Beard uh, did act beyond inappropriately. Uh, if, if people want to say, no, it was self-defense and the fiancé doesn't want him charged, okay, this happens every day in this country where th- there's a domestic violence case. Let me tell you what else happens every day in this country, too, that a girlfriend calls police for domestic violence when it didn't really happen. Domestic violence cases, you have a lot of guys who did not commit a domestic violence charge who get prosecuted, arrested, and charged. They show up at the scene. Police have, under the law and misdemeanors, they're not supposed to arrest people. But for DUI and domestic violence, it's on the books. You must arrest. So domestic violence, there's a cool-down period. You're either taking the girl or you're taking the guy to jail. And guess who always goes? The guy. It's always the guy. And guess who always gets charged? It's always the guy. So when you're looking at domestic violence cases, when it's a he said, she said, and especially when the girl comes out later and says, no, 
I, that's not what happened. You have to give a, you have to look at it with a little bit of a side eye and say, okay, is this one of these situations where, uh, the girl was actually at fault, called the police on him and said, you know what? I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. That's why guys need to be careful in today's society. I'm not saying that's what happened in the Chris Beard's case. I'm saying you have to look at those cases that way. And prosecutors have an ethical duty to not proceed on a case. If they don't feel they can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, you're not supposed to just take a swing as a prosecutor. That's an ethical duty at every level. So, Thomas, I I understand what you're saying, and you're right. Uh, Every day in this country, uh, I would assume that there are some women that call police and and say they were assaulted, and they weren't. I, I don't disagree with that assessment, but there are also a lot of women in this country that are victims, that are abused every day, and the person who abuses or assaults them also is not convicted. It goes both ways. I am not saying that Chris Beard is this horrific human being that assaults women every day, and I'm not even going to say that he wanted to hurt this woman. But well, what I all, all I'm saying is this: based on a police report, you're basically convicting him in your own mind, and there's never been any actual evidence or testimony taken in this case for you to base that on, other than a police report that you read online and how the news has been reporting it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh. You know, maybe maybe he was guilty. Maybe he wasn't. This is a very prominent person with a lot of money and a lot of power. I have no doubt that the people behind the scenes took that into account as well. That's number one. Number two, there is tons of money at stake here. And I believe that is part of the reason why the alleged victim has come forward recently and said, no, I never wanted this to happen. He never did this. He never did that. Chris Beard will be just fine. Chris Beard will be coaching somewhere very, very soon. Why? Because he's a winning basketball coach. I applaud the University of Texas for doing what they did. And I know there's going to be some people out there that are going to disagree with me. Even if you get into a situation like this where the charges are dismissed, it reflects bad on the university It reflects bad on the men's basketball program. And yes, I'm going to stand by my opinions. I believe there is some guilt here with Chris Beard. Very, very difficult to prove, perhaps. Why have they not released the body camera? I find that to be very, very interesting. Why have they not released more evidence and pictures of her body that were allegedly bruised? I find that very, very, very interesting. Because, Thomas, I believe that if it was you or me, and we would probably never, I would hope, ever put ourselves in this situation, he is Chris Beard. He is a famous college basketball coach. I want to see the body camera. I want to know what his fiance said moments after this alleged assault. Why won't they release the body camera? And I come to one conclusion. I believe the way she was behaving and what she said that night is directly contrary to what she's saying now. And they don't want to release it because it will well, make them look let bad. Let me tell you this. You really, really, really want that body cam? I do. You're a member of the media. I do. You can make a media request down there. I'm sure people have already done that. I'm sure I'm people. You, well, I I think you could do that if you really wanted to see it. But I'm thinking this. If I'm a defense attorney, which I am now, and I have a client come to me and go, hey, I'm charged with domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend wants to basically say, recant her statement to police. I go, okay, I'm not going to support. I'm not going to. I'm not going to support perjury. But if she's really saying that what her statement to police was false, okay, we're going to do it. But if we're going to do an affidavit of non-prosecution, that's what she did. She did a a statement under oath, written statement under oath. And she didn't come out and 
say certain things. But what she did was she said, I'm not refuting that it was self-defense mm-hmm. on Chris, that he was acting in self-defense. And she, but she definitely came out and said, I did not say that to police that night. Well, what they put in the report about being strangled. I didn't say that. Okay. Well, I, so, I want the body well, camera no, footage. What I'm, what I'm saying is this. A defense attorney, and she wouldn't have done that affidavit unless mm-hmm. it was absolutely sure that I wouldn't come back on her uh, as a crime of perjury. So they've already either reviewed the body camera and it didn't say that, or there was no body camera. And, well, I'd like and, to know. And it's not a conspiracy where it's like, oh, they destroyed the body camera. Mm-hmm. So as a defense attorney, your, your wife comes to me and says, I want to recant my statement. I go, well, let me look at all the evidence in the case because I don't want you to fill out an affidavit. And all of a sudden they're going, you're lying in your affidavit under oath. It's one thing for you to recant. Uh, you know, informally, it's another thing for me to have you fill out an affidavit under oath and submit it to the prosecutor. And it has to be very carefully worded because you're not going to have it that way. So the fact that she came out and said, I didn't say that makes me think that maybe the body cam showed that she didn't actually say that. Well, we don't know that for sure. And um, Chris Beard is a celebrity. He is a very high profile college basketball coach or used to be. I'm sure he'll be coaching again soon. And I find it very interesting that of all the members of the media out there that have covered this case, we don't see any body camera. We don't really see any pictures of her body, which allegedly was bruised. Um, I would like to see that. Um, but there's reasons why they're not releasing that to the public. And I think there are shenanigans going on. I do believe Chris Beard did assault her. Um, and uh, it's here nor there right now because the charges have been dropped. But this, but this isn't a situation like a, an officer shooting where they're going to just unilaterally produce body cam for the public to see to stop riots in the streets. Like you're saying they haven't produced the body cam, but you don't know if there's even been a request from the media for the body cam. And are they fighting that uh, the way they're fighting right. body cam releases you're in other right. cases? I don't know that, but this is a I mean, there's, very there's high perceived, profile case. And I am shocked that we haven't seen any body camera. And that leads me to believe that this well, is a little suspicious. I'm actually always shocked that they release body cam in high profile cases because there's reasons not to do. The only reason you release body cam in a case is when you have an officer involved shooting, you're trying to stop riots because you want to have transparency with what just happened. But in an open criminal case, as a process, it's as not a former, open anymore. I want well, to that, see the body that's, camera. That's my point. Now yeah. that it's not open, now I can see, okay, now maybe you could release. But to me, I, I think the media has kind of stopped well, following this story. Well, I mean, you know, you know, what I think in the body camera footage is she's probably very emotional. She's crying and she's not saying very nice things about Chris Beard. And she's saying that he probably assaulted her. Let me ask her. you this. Let me ask you this because I got funny TikTok dads just asked this on the TikTok live. Mm-hmm. He says, how are police benefiting from protecting a coach who's already been fired from the University of Texas? Why would they do that? Why would they do what? Say that again? Why are they protecting a coach who's already been fired from the University of Texas? Okay. So here would be my response to that. Because he was in Las Vegas before Texas. It's not like he's Mm -hmm. homegrown in that town. It's not like he's Alec Murdoch, four generations of prominence in a community. Well, uh, the main reason being, even though you might have some evidence to prove that he is guilty, you have the alleged victim who is now saying the opposite. So they find it it might be very difficult to prove in the court of law. I think that's the main reason why. And number two, I wouldn't this is a man that has a ton of money. Well hold on, I want to go back to your first point. Yeah. But you didn't you didn't really answer the question. You said there's proof issues. Yeah. Yeah, there's proof issues. That's why it was yeah. dismissed. But you're saying the police are not releasing this evidence that could have proven the guilt that you yep. want to see that, that there's reasons. What would be their motive for doing well, that? Well, I think a part of it could be, and this is speculation, but I think a part of it could be, hey, the guy's already lost his job. 
Uh, he's lost tens of millions of dollars. He's lost his job. Do we really want to go further here and punish him more? Yes, I do believe that could be very possible. And again, if I'm wrong, let's see the evidence. I, I have a take on it. This is a very low pri. This is a very low priority case in the big scheme of things down in that city. They have very serious crimes going on. This little uh, tip tap back and forth between a husband and wife, where the wife doesn't want prosecution, if not for the fact that he's Chris Beard, and we talked about this with Marshawn Lynch, if not for the fact that he's a prominent member, high profile, this case would have been swept under the rug way, way before that. And so the only reason they even took this much care and detail in it is because they don't want to do something that in the media is going to look like they're cutting him a break. So I actually think the motive goes the other way. If anything, if they had the evidence there, they would proceed forward because they don't want the media making a body cam request coming out and going, oh, I see she signed this affidavit. But guess what? In this body cam, you have her telling it. So her affidavit's wrong. Get her for perjury, too. They wouldn't want that. So. Well, again, the only way I'm ever going to say on the air is that Chris Beard is completely 100 percent innocent. And I don't think he did anything wrong is if I see the body camera footage and uh, his uh, fiance saying, oh, no, I started this thing and he was just defending himself. That's not on the body camera footage. I guarantee you. No presumption of innocence I, in the court of I, Brian Shapiro. Uh, well, I'm just giving my <laughs> I'm just giving my opinions. That's yeah. what I do here. And um, uh, the fact that we I believe on that body camera footage, she's probably very emotional. She's got bruises on her body and she's claiming that he hit her. Uh, and I don't think uh, they want to show that it. Uh, to the public. And if they do show it to the public and none of that is on there, then I would be the first person to come on the radio and say, boy, you know what? They really screwed Chris Beard here. And the man is an innocent man. I don't think that's so, the case. So who do they got going down there? The, uh, I hear it's the Kentucky coach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're a good basketball team regardless, but uh, Chris Beard is a very good basketball coach. I'm not going to sit here and say otherwise. And that's why I don't feel bad for Chris Beard at all. He's going to get a gig somewhere. Maybe UNLV can hire him again. I don't know. UNLV basketball program not doing so very good right now. I'm Obviously, I'm joking. Well, that's when I've not looked at happen. all the coach firings, they always seem to land on their feet in an even better gig. Um, not always, especially in this day and age. Not always. Uh, but in this situation, Chris Beard is going to be just fine. I mean, at least they had cause for firing him. So He's going to get a So lower... now they don't have to pay him. That's true. Because a lot of times you fire a basketball coach, they have it built in their contract. Like, oh, you're yeah. still going to pay me the uh, millions and millions you owe me. Regardless of whether he's guilty or not in the court of public opinion, this has cost Chris Beard arguably tens of millions of dollars. This has tremendously hurt his career. Here's what I mean by that. Besides the money. He is not going to, his next job will not be a Texas type job. It'll be in a lower conference like a UNLV, like a San Jose State, like a West Coast conference team. Um, it's going to be a lower level job and now he's going to have to work his way back up. That's the way this works. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see what happens here. I don't know. Uh, but, um, that's my personal opinion. I would love to see the body camera footage. Maybe there isn't any body camera footage, but I'd love the police to, to comment on that. Uh, I don't believe they have to this point. All right. He's Thomas Moskal, former prosecutor. I am Brian Shapiro. Number to call 702-221-7283. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I, I do, Thomas, want to talk a little bit about the IRS with you because it appears as though Republicans Republicans apparently want, at least some of them, want to abolish the IRS. I know some people are like, oh, that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> so we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, the IRS? Yeah, hey, yeah. Some people, I can get behind that. Who yeah, do I vote for? Some people seem to be pretty excited about that. I can understand why, by the way. I am too. But we'll talk about that when we come back. We'll talk a little bit about the legalities of it. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. Could they be true? 
Hey, everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment, and work injuries. You name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams, treatments such as testosterone enhancement, and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices, office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. Hey, everybody. Are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. The Klondike Casino is a friendly local spot that features their signature restaurant, the Klondike Grill, serving up fresh food fast. Open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner just off the 95 Freeway on Sunset Road in Henderson. You will find the Klondike Casino featuring all your favorite games from the Strip in the comfort of a neighborhood casino. You can place a bet at their full-service sports book or start your day with a breakfast plate that comes with your choice of potato and toast. Or check us out for lunch or dinner and try one of our many sandwiches like the popular beer-battered fish sandwich or the Philly cheesesteak. Check out the full menu at Klondike's sunset.com Welcome to Hash House A Go Go, where we've been serving farm food and crafted cocktails for over two decades. Visit us for the full Hash House experience at any of our five Las Vegas locations. Hash House A Go Go is where old school meets new and gets twisted. We bring people together over good food and fun. Come in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and come hungry because our portions are huge. Visit us online to see our entire menu at hashhouseagogo.com. Hash House A Go Go. It's a Midwest thing, and there's nothing else like it. Is your dog suffering from a sensitive stomach? Hi, it's Kelly the Cookie Lady from Mooch's Munchies. Our dogs had super sensitive tummies, and I needed to find a low-fat treat that wouldn't give them gas or other issues. Most of the treats on the market were loaded with fillers, chemicals, and chicken fat. Many of them weren't even food. 
Well, I knew I could do better, so I developed Mooch's Munchies, and I'm happy to be able to share them with you. Stop by our store or our website, moochesmunchies.com, and find out why we say that Mooch's Munchies are totally possum. All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Friday. So glad that uh, all of you can join us. Uh, breaking news, by the way, Mark Wahlberg just sold his Beverly Hills mansion for $55 million. That's all. I figured I would just uh, add that in there. Mark Wahlberg is now an official Vegas local, believe it or not. He lives here in Las Vegas. He bought a uh, a, a very nice home in Summerlin. I heard Tom Brady bought a home in Summerlin as well. I don't know if that's true or not, Thomas. Mm. But uh, I'm on the fringe of Summerlin. I'm on the fringe. So. You're on the fringe. Yeah. Is your home worth $55 million? I can't hear myself. Yeah, you're on. Okay. Um. Fifty-five million dollars. Fifty-five mil. Yeah, is that how much your home is worth? Mine? Yeah. No, no. I'm on the free. I don't. Even, I think they're trying to reclassify my neighborhood as not being Summerlin. Yeah. You know how they do that? Yeah, I do. Gentrify or whatever I they do. call it. You know, it's amazing yeah. though because Vegas is one of the fastest growing cities. Want to hear my Marky Mark world. impression? I still call him Marky Mark. <laughs> I want to F and I want to F right now. <laughs> little boogie not, nights. Little boogie nights bad. right there. Boogie nights. Uh, uh, do you mean to do it again? Uh, Burt Reynolds went. What? Who's the, who's the chick in that star. movie? Uh, Graham Roller Girl. Yeah, I don't. I don't call her by her real name. What's her real she's name? All, she's forever Roller Girl. What is her name? real name? I forgot her real name. I can't believe it. I love her. Yeah, call her Roller Girl. I remember Heather Graham. Heather Graham. Thank God, you. You're gonna I make me say it. Remember I her? Trying to act uh, like I didn't remember it. Remember her in? Do you remember the movie with Corey Feldman and Corey Haim, License to Drive? I think that was her first movie. Oh, that was awesome. No, I don't remember that. Okay, that's a classic, man. Well, of course, I do remember Prayer of the Roller Boys. She's been in. A, she's Roller Girl. Yeah, she's been. Remember they were in that. She's been in some. They're all Roller. Boogie Nights is gang. a good movie. She she played a nice role in that movie too. But she she is awesome. She played a very nice Vegas role. is. Uh, I didn't even tell you this, or maybe I did. I don't even know. But uh, before we get to some the IRS story, um, so I'm at Red Rock the other day, right? And um, sitting down with a couple really good friends of mine, taking me to dinner. Haven't seen them in a while, and all of a sudden, Conor McGregor just walks in. He walks in there like he owns the place. Uh, sits down with his kids and his wife, and you did the Donald Trump jig for Conor McGregor's walk. Like. Now he kind of he comes. That's in. what he looked like. He comes no, in. so so Conor McGregor walks in right, and I don't see him right away because my back is to him. And my friend Larry goes, "Hey, look at that guy. I recognize him from TV." And I look over, and my immediate response is. Oh my God, I think that's Conor McGregor. But then I do a double take because he's really short and he's little, but he's. Do you think you could take him? No. You could kill me in one punch. But, um, so I, 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 I do. He said, he, he said he'd take you out. He won't even use his hands, man. <laughs> well, I turn around and I put my hands at, behind my back, man. <laughs> I turn around Twisty and I like look a pretzel. At him. I look at Conor and, uh, <laughs> he gives me this look back like it was the look of, dude, stop looking at me or I'll knock you out. You know, I know you know who I am. And he would knock you out. Yeah, he gave me he that didn't even look. care. Like, he'll punch a regular citizen. <laughs> uh, he, 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 he gave me... Uh, I, I can honestly say that Conor McGregor gave me the look of death. He was like, don't look at me. I'm with my family. Yeah. He's just a jerk. And He's did just you, a jerk. Did you keep looking? Uh, I did. And uh, I looked for a little bit. We were at the end of... Well, you're of, good at getting under people's skin. I wish you could have got him to hit you, and then I could, take, you, I could take it to court. Awesome. We'll, we'll do a little lawsuit, try and get a settlement. Let me tell you something, Thomas. I dreamed about that on the ride home. Can I tell you about that? I dreamed about that. I said, man, I wish he just gave me a shove. Then I would have like... No, 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 no. You, I want teeth knocked out. We no. need jury appeal. Remember I was talking about this? When we go to trial, we want jury appeal, not listen, a shove. Listen. Oh, if, my God. Thomas, You're going to be like, hear me out. I, was in, I was in medical treatment no. for a year and a half. They're like, yeah, the surveillance hear, shows a shove. Hear me out on this. Just hear me out. <laughs> he gives me a shove. 
I immediately fall to the ground like he shot me. I know. I, this is horrible. I hold trial my neck. For me. I hold oh my, my neck. God. I hold my head. My neck. My back. I s- my I scream in and pain. my crack. I sell the video. <laughs> I sell the video for ten grand to TMZ. I go to the hospital. I call up Mark and I say, Mark, I'm sorry. I think I'm going to be out for the next couple months. I got a really bad headache. Mark's like, oh, that's terrible. What happened? Now, Conor McGregor uh, put his pinky on me. Uh, Ten grand. Yeah, yeah. That's what you're thinking. On a Conor McGregor Maybe attack? More. Maybe more. Than like, that. Yeah, probably. Ten more. grand. I'm telling you, this would be a. T- or, 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 hey, if you don't want to take the case, I'll call up my friend Gloria Allred. If you no, don't want to take I'd it, I put the criminal. I'd put the, the charging <laughs> document when we when, for negligence or you know infliction Thomas, of injury. I I'd say you know you were injured. I go to it in the JJ. Does it make because me a bad what person? you just said to me? That you would only want to shove for 10k. Yeah, give me a shove. I don't want him to punch me because I could die. If let me make no now mistake, you're making, now my lawyer ears are perking up. I go, yeah, Thomas, exactly. If, Thomas, if Connor, exactly, if he threw a chair at me, I would take that. You t- should do. You should have done like the Bruce Seldon phantom punch on Tyson. Yeah. Like he almost grazed you, then you drop. Listen, okay. okay. If Connor <laughs> McGregor, you look up to see if the ref is like, if are you a, done counting yet? If <laughs> a guy like Connor McGregor punches me, just one punch, he could kill me. I do not want to take that risk. I don't want a concussion. At minimum, I'd have a concussion. Throw a chair no, we're, at. We're never going to get a good lawsuit no, with you. I, I can dreamed. Tell right now. No, you're wrong. I dreamed on the way home. I wish he threw a chair at me or shoved me, because I would milk it. I would. You know, listen. They do this in L.A. all the time. Kanye West going after members of the paparazzi. Remember the guy at LAX where Kanye just like grabs his shirt and shoves him, and the guy said like he couldn't work anymore, and he had the guy made a couple hundred grand. Come See on. this SMH SMH. Oh come on! You know exactly what I'm talking we're, about. All these we're trying to go lawsuits. for a, We're trying to go for an eight figure lawsuit here. You're talking about. All right, well, I'm not talking shove about me that. Obviously, and let me go down to the ground immediately and go my head. <laughs> my head. Well, you, you wouldn't want to make a third of that. That's an easy 10 money grand? for you. No, no I'm talking like no, 250. I, I'm not spending my time no, on I'm a talking, $10,000 lawsuit. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about 10 grand. I said I would sell the video to TMZ for 10 grand. You, I'm talking about no, a couple you hundred grand. Because you selling the video would already be hurting our case. Oh, well, uh, that's why I would need a good attorney to tell me that. Uh, but I'm just saying I, that would be a couple hundred grand. Come on, don't deny that. If, if Conor McGregor threw a chair at me and bru- gave me some bruises and I milked it, you're telling Man, me. And on could, that case, for me to take the risk financially and come out of my pocket to get a contingency fee at the end? No. Hold on a second. You're telling no. me. Hold on a you second. You want to pay my retainer up front? You're telling and then me. I'll do it. You're telling <laughs> You're telling me that I want a slam dunk, man. You're telling me that if you had video of Conor McGregor shoving somebody to the ground, you would not take that case? I can't believe you wouldn't take that case. Just for the high profile of it, well, the, one of the most recognizable no, figures I, in the no, world. I wouldn't spend my time with assaulting it. somebody, and you're telling no, me you wouldn't not, take not the case? if it goes the way you're saying, where he shoves and then well, the he person shoves goes, me to the ground. Ah, That's assault. That's assault. The and you... then says, "My head, my neck." Okay. Listen. Like no, Conor that, McGregor has like hundreds when we have of this little fender bender, you know, these little car accidents that these personal injury attorneys take to trial. <laughs> they go, it's like no car damage on the rear end. It's like a five mile an hour bump. The person goes to the chiropractor, starts getting spinal fusion, everything for a year and a yeah, half. Yeah, but in the end, they usually no, get paid. No, but let me, no, no, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Sometimes your medical bills don't even get covered by it because it's so ridiculous. But what you're saying is the equivalent of that same crash and the person opens the car door, falls out of the car, and then goes, oh, my God, I can't walk all the ambulance. And it's like, I, this is like the slowest speed bump on your your fender that I ever did because they look back and they go, 
That's Conor McGregor driving. Oh, open the door. Fall out the car. All right. Well, here's my <laughs> here's my opinion on all this stuff. Are there fabulous lawsuits out there every day? Absolutely. But here's my opinion on this. If you're a celebrity, and I'm talking about high-profile people like a Conor McGregor or a Kanye West, and you decide to assault somebody, even if it is not, there are no serious injuries and the victim milks the injuries. I don't feel bad for the celebrity because these celebrities need to be held accountable. It happened with Conor McGregor before. Where you know he, what? When, it, you, when you get completely famous off this show and you can't <laughs> even walk the streets anymore, <laughs> you're like Eminem, like when he, like I'm trying to use the bathroom and you're over here peeking through the crack in the door asking for an autograph. You know what? You'll see like you might be losing your temper a little bit so you have, out there when it's like, can I use the bathroom? My no, daughter's I disagree. here. I'm trying to have my daughter use the bathroom in a public toilet she has to pee she's three can i get a little bit of privacy not gonna put my hands on somebody and assault somebody and that's what some of these people do that's what kanye west does and it doesn't make it right no matter how much of a pain in the ass it is to be a celebrity it comes with the territory and i don't feel bad for them is it annoying people coming up to you during dinner people following you in public yes it's annoying save this video for when he gets famous in 10 years i'm not going to assault somebody no 10 years when he goes it comes with the territory when he's complaining about how famous he is and how these gold diggers are coming after him constantly and he can't trust well, then he don't can't trust anybody people. around him. Then don't we'll assault go, people. Hey, it comes with the territory. Play that clip. Comes then don't the then don't assault man. people. Don't put your hands on somebody. Kanye West has assaulted members of the paparazzi. Well, Connor, Connor did not assault you though. We're talking but he about has. we're talking about you baiting him into assaulting. I you. didn't. First of all, <laughs> first of all, just because I thought you about dreamed. it, just because I thought about it, doesn't mean I was going to do it. Number one and number two, I didn't bait him into anything. And number three, um, there are members of the paparazzi that are on public property. Uh, and we've seen celebrities assault members of the paparazzi, Alec Baldwin being another one. Um, when you are on pub now, if they're on private property, that is a different circumstance. Assault them all day. I'm not, no, I'm not saying oh. assault is okay, oh. but I have seen a lot of these members of the paparazzi who are annoying. And it's probably the, the main reason why Princess Diana died. It's horrible, right? That they were breaking the law there. They were following somebody at a high rate of speed, but I'm talking about members of the paparazzi, for example, in LA that are following, say, Leonardo DiCaprio down a public sidewalk. Guess what, Leo? You're a celebrity, and people are allowed to follow you and take pictures. If you don't like it, tough cookies. I don't feel bad for these celebrities at all, and I'm sick of it. And isn't it interesting that these celebrities want the media when they're promoting a movie or promoting something? Oh, then it's okay. Interview me. I want to talk about my new product that's out. But when they're walking down the street with their family or not, they are celebrities. It is part of the territory, and I think they are whiny Bitches, can if I, t- I can, can say that can on the air. Can I tell you something? A lot of those celebrities, they hate having to go out and promote those things, but it's built into their contract. Oh, I understand. They like to make the movie, but Not then they're always. like, all right, now I got to go and do the whole circuit Not to always. this thing. Not always, if though. If they could take that part out of their life, they would. I'm not talking about A-list celebrities, but there are plenty of celebrities out there. I'm not talking about the big movie stars in Hollywood, because you're right. In those situations, it's in their contract. I'm talking about people that are peddling a product. Maybe they're B-list celebrities, and they always want to go to the media to push their product, to talk about their product. And... Well, that's the difference between A-list and B-list is like, look, A-list is tired of Well, they're the already attention. established. They don't need well, to. No, they're tired of the attention. They want, they would like a little bit of their privacy back, but they can't get it. And B-list is like, no, I want the attention because I'm still trying to get to that point well, in fame. Guess what? And so, when, you're when ta- you ha- but when you're talking about Conor McGregor, you're talking about Leo DiCaprio, you're talking about, I mean, these are guys, they can't just walk the street. Well, you know what? Cry me a river. 
Because you can hire people to buy you stuff. You can hire people. If you really want to go hang out in a bar, you can pay the bar uh, five grand to rent it out for a couple hours. These people have more money I than God. Say, I, they I, don't... I said, why is Conor McGregor slumming in at Red Rock? <laughs> well, uh, should be over the win, Good man. question. Uh, for a second, <laughs> I said, wow, does he have a fight there? The UFC fights are in Vegas this weekend, even though it's at the, uh, the UFC center where it only holds a couple hundred people. The reason why Conor McGregor is in town, I found out, is because he's shooting a TV show here. That's why he was in town. Listen, looked like he had a lovely family, three really cute kids and a wife. I just looked at him. That's all I did. I didn't approach him. And by the way, I would never do that if there's a, unless I know the person. I would never interrupt people in the middle of dinner. That's inappropriate and it's wrong. And he had a bodyguard that was sitting next to our table at a separate table watching and he was eyeing us. Uh, all I did was look at him. I didn't uh, make a scene. I didn't ask for an autograph or a picture and I wouldn't do that. Now, if he's on a public sidewalk by himself without his family, I'm, I, I might go up to him and say, hey, Connor, what's up, my man? You mind if I take a picture with you? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And if they say no, then respect that and move on. A member of the paparazzi, if they see Connor McGregor walking down the strip on a public sidewalk, they have the right to follow him and video him and take pictures because he's not on private property. And I'm sick and tired of these celebrities that whine about it. I'm tired of it. Uh, are, are there situations where the paparazzi takes it too far? Absolutely. No question about it. It is a scummy business, but it is part of the territory when you're a celebrity that people are going to come up to you. They're going to ask you for autographs. They're going to ask you for pictures. Sometimes it might be inappropriate and sometimes it might be okay. That's the only point I'm trying to make. Chris here, Wynn man. said he liked my Conor McGregor impression. <laughs> do it again. I, it was a little bit off. I'll do it again. I, I don't even have an impression. Can you do a Chris Wynn impersonation? No, I'm not going to do that. Oh, it. your Chris Wynn impersonation is really, really good. You're really, you're really, uh, you're really disappointing the fans here because your, your Chris Wynn is actually, actually really good. Well, we probably should get to, uh, some more serious topics, not the topic of me dreaming about being assaulted by Conor McGregor, but we do have some people on the line. 702-221-7283. And again, the number to call if you want to be a part of the conversation. 702-221-7283. Let's go to Fernando. Fernando, what's going on? Hey guys, um, I'm with Thomas. You have to ask for at least 25 million because you're going to have to pay the attorney and his, his crew of investigators and you got to pay taxes on him. So he might walk out with 15 million, maybe. <laughs> Fernando, you know, as well as I, that there are yeah. some cases where Kanye West might shove or push or assault a photographer and they settle for like two or 300 grand. You know that that's what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about millions yeah. and millions of dollars. I'm talking about a shove or a push or a basic minor assault. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. I'm not talking about Conor McGregor knocking my teeth out because he would kill me with one punch. I don't want to take that risk. Hey, I wanted to, um, uh, uh, Thomas, I wanted to ask you, um, when did specialty courts come into play in Clark County? Cause I was reading the paper with Henry Ruggs. He's in specialty court. And the Henderson Police Department, who fired off 27 rounds at a car, and they're in specialty court. I thought court was court. What specialty court do you mean? Uh, like, when you say specialty so she, courts, to me, it means one thing. So, it might, to uh -huh. you, it might mean another. Specialty courts for lawyers are, so we have a gambler's court. So when somebody is convicted of like a theft crime, but they have a big, pretty bad gambling problem, they get into a specialty treatment court for gamblers. We have a DUI treatment court for DUI offenders and recidivists. But Henry Ruggs wouldn't be eligible for that because that's only eligible for non-injury cases. So in a DUI injury or death case, is mandatory prison. You're ineligible for that. We have a drug court. Uh, you know, same thing, yeah. people committing a lot of crimes, but they have a real bad drug problem. And so these courts, instead of putting somebody in prison, will 
put them through a lot of therapy and rehabilitation for a few years, court monitored to try and really like rehabilitate them back into society. We have a mental health treatment court. You know, you have a lot of mental health issues. So the criminal justice system has uh, recognized that. So when you're saying specialty court, as far as Henry Ruggs, he was in mm-hmm. a DUI court. Because down here in Las Vegas, we have one justice court that hears all the DUI cases. And there was actually something that came up in the media. Judge Zimmerman was in charge of the DUI court for the last year. But the judges kind of switched their roles around before Judge Zimmerman was Judge Bauckham for like for like six or seven years. Uh, Judge yeah. Zimmerman took over for Bauckham. And then at the beginning of this year, Judge Bonaventure took over for Judge Zimmerman. But Judge Zimmerman hung on to the Henry Ruggs case. And the Henry Ruggs attorneys are now challenging that, saying, why is she holding on to just this one case? They should all be going back to Judge Bonaventure, the DUI court judge. Curious enough is Judge Zimmerman denied the motion to suppress the blood results in the Henry Ruggs case. And the Henry Ruggs search warrant was really, really, really weak. The police really messed up on that one. Uh, but Judge Zimmerman mm-hmm. denied the search warrant challenge. So the defense attorneys are saying, why are you hanging on to this case? Really funny is a lot of defense attorneys feel like there shouldn't even be one judge that hears all the DUI cases, that they should be randomly assigned like all the other cases. So uh, so that's yeah, when I ask, what do, you, what do you mean by specialty court? Well, I read in the RJ that there are specialty courts for special cases like you were talking about and with the Henderson Police Department, they're in a, 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 a special court, and so is Henry Ruggs. It said that in the RJ paper uh, last week or two weeks ago. You'll have to look, but, but Henry I, Ruggs should be in. There's a DUI yeah. court, uh, but actually, mm-hmm. Judge Zimmerman kept his case, even though she hears a general litigation calendar. We also have a court for domestic violence. There's two judges down downtown that hear all the domestic violence cases only. For the county, and that's because you have a DUI prosecution team and you have a DUI a domestic violence prosecution team. They're specialty prosecutors who know the law in these certain areas, so it makes sense to have one court. Otherwise, you have a group of four prosecutors running all over the courthouse every day, yeah. and judges are waiting for them. So, oh, judge, I'm sorry, I'm down here in courtroom A. You need me in courtroom S, R, T, and W at the same time. But I got a case going on down here. So that's why the judges do it. It's never been challenged. As far as the Henderson police case, I'm not sure. I haven't really been following that story on what court they're in. Uh, uh-huh. But that's kind of how the, the courts have the power to kind of handle their dockets effectively. But no one's ever challenged all of a, one certain type of case going to one judge. Because you can see how that's problematic. Now that I'm a defense attorney, if I'm mm-hmm. doing mostly DUI cases... And I have a DUI judge who's going to sit there for one or two years, and he's really bad for defense and defendants. You're like, man, why? I can't get into in front of another judge. And same thing as a prosecutor. If you have a very defense-friendly judge, it's like, man, we can't get our cases in front of a judge that kind of gives us some love sometimes. Um, so that's the, a, the other, go ahead. The other thing, the other thing I wanted to ask you is um, about eight years ago, I testified down downtown against. Um, against a stalker, okay? Um, and I got paid for my testimony. Is that still going on? How much did you get paid? Like $25? No, it was 80 80 Okay. <laughs> so, so basically, by statute, uh, there's a law uh-huh. passed by the legislature called witness fees. So witnesses, because yeah. we know that you have to come into court, you're going to have to have gas, you're going to have to... Uh, yeah. Uh, probably take off of work. So there's a built-in statutory witness fee that you get. So it's gas money plus it might be $50 plus gas money. Um, yeah. And that's because it's not you prosecuting the person. It's not you. No. Once you've submitted to the police, a lot of times, and we were talking about this with Chris Beard, 
It's not it's not what the victim wants to have happen in the case. It's not what the witnesses mm-hmm. want. It's what the prosecutor and what the state wants to do. So they're going to pay you for mm-hmm. your time. Thanks, so Fernando. It's still going. Okay, guys. Have Thanks. a good weekend. You too, Take my care. man. 702-221-7283. Again, that number if you want to be a part of the conversation. 702-221-7283. Let's go to Carl. Carl is next. What's going on, Carl? Yeah, hi, gentlemen. Hope you're having a good afternoon. Listen, in regard to the paparazzi, this is really very funny. Uh, I don't know if you think it is, but I do. Uh, I knew somebody who was the network which handled the Kardashians. Now, a group of women who uh, have absolutely no talent at all to do anything, and yet you hear them on the show, and they're always complaining about, I wish they'd leave us alone. They're always there taking pictures of us. They're always after us. And uh, he told me that what they do is before they go to a restaurant or anywhere they go, they call the press. They do. And they say, we're going to be at this restaurant at this time of night or whatever. So they'll have a lot of people there to take their pictures. No question. So they're just... Yeah. That, that, now, just, now uh, I will, I will say this in some of their defense. Uh, sometimes the management or a waiter or somebody gets paid to tip somebody off as well. Uh, but you are absolutely right. There are certainly circumstances where yeah. top big celebrities like the Kardashians, uh, somebody with them will call ahead of time and, and tip off a member yeah. of the media so they can get publicity. You're absolutely right. The, yeah. They want the publicity. That's yeah. all they live on yeah. is publicity. What else on their talent? You know, yeah. I mean, uh, well, I would, obviously I, I mean, not. Listen, the reason why we know who Paris Hilton is is because she put out a sex video and her family uh, used to run Hilton. Uh, that's why we know who Paris Hilton is. She has zero talent. As far as the Kardashians go, let's be honest. The reason why we know who the Kardashians are... Uh, uh, Mr. Kardashian, who has since passed away, was a very skilled attorney uh, in L.A. And then, of course, the whole Jenner situation and the fact that he or is a she now, I don't know. No, what, um, Kim Kardashian put out a sex tape with Ray J. And I was going to get to that. That was the big thing. Though. I was going to get to that. But people still knew who the Kardashians were before that sex tape. And it was because mm, of the me. Well, I did. I, because of who the uh, famous uh, <laughs> lawyer was. And then, uh, of course, the whole Jenner situation uh, and him being a former gold medalist Olympian. And yet... Yes, what Thomas was referring to uh, in the sex tape that Kim Kardashian put out really made her celebrity status much higher. Uh, I don't believe Kim Kardashian has any talent at all other than she is an attractive woman, and some would argue that. Uh, same thing with Paris Hilton, and these people, I believe, are a nuisance to society, and they don't add anything to society. I couldn't watch that reality show for more than two minutes because it's boring and dry. I find them very boring and dry. And you know, I interview. I've actually interviewed them a few times in Las Vegas. They're just very boring people, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Well, <laughs> well, I just saw the show a couple of times, and every time you take a look at the show, you know what they're doing? They're eating. That's all they do. Is <laughs> Sounds like the eat. Sopranos. Have you yeah. ever noticed that? Yeah. Ever noticed that? Yeah, I That's have. all they do. If you watch that yeah. show, they just yeah. sit around, eat, and talk yeah. about uh, what they'd like to do and yeah. what they're going to do. I mean, ridiculous, ridiculous. I agree anyway. with you, Carl. I appreciate you calling in, okay. my friend. Thank you so much. You have a uh, you have a safe weekend. You won't hear me saying many positive things about the Kardashians. Okay, you won't. Um, but listen, this is the day and the age that we live in right now, where you know somebody like a Kim Kardashian or a Paris Hilton is going to get paid a monster six figures to show up at a nightclub for an hour. I mean, this is, this is the, this is the day and age that we live in right now. Now you couldn't pay me to, to listen to Paris Hilton sing or play music. I'm not something that I'm interested in, but um, this is the day and age that we live in. We're fascinated by celebrities and, and, and some more than others. Uh, Not everybody is like that. Um, I, I, 
I am, I wouldn't say the word fascinated, interested in certain celebrities that I admire, that I think are extremely talented or I'm a fan of. It could be a musician, it could be a politician, um, people that I personally like. I'm just saying I don't like the no-talent clowns, which I would say are Paris Hilton, the Kardashians, etc. That's all. Very simple. I think it's a pretty uh, level-headed op- uh, opinion, you know, but... Well, that's, that's you know, that's what you like. As opposed to what other people like. Yeah, but I mean, there are attorneys yeah, Kendall, across. Kendall Jenner gets, uh, I mean, she's the most successful social media person. I heard she gets upwards of $30 million to sponsor a brand on her post. Oh, I believe she's that. She's ahead of the rock. Like, rock is like number two. I believe that. I believe that. Dr. Shauna Ronaldo is number two. She has an enormous so, following. Know, so that does not. It's su- not just this day and age. It's throughout history. People like celebrity. It's just in this day and age, we have technology and, you know, people can, people can put their mug out there and gain a following. I believe and I don't though, hate on it at all. I believe that's what I'm trying to do. You're trying to do it. Yeah, but I I believe that um, when it comes to certain celebrities, um, they're famous because of who their family member might be, and they they leech off of a family member. They leech off of somebody that actually does have talent, and, and that part like of Frank it, Stallone. Um, yeah, Frank I mean, Stallone. There's a lot of you know. Uh, there, I, I heard this story from the Playboy Mansion. I read it, and they were like, you know, they always have celebrities come by. Back in the day when Hefner was running it, back in like the '80s, the heyday, and uh, all the girls would get excited. They go, "Hey, we got somebody in town." They go, "Stallone's here, Stallone's here," and all the girls they got all made up, and they go to the they had a movie theater. They go and watch movies, and they show up, and they're like, "It's Frank Stallone." <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. Wow, wow, wow. But you know what I'm saying? Like the, <laughs> the kids of the kids of, of some very famous celebrities. You know, uh, that's kind of where I take a little bit of issue, I guess. You do it all yourself and you make a brand. Hey, all the power to you, man. But it's the people that leech off of family members and their fame that, um, you know, I had a I I guess I have a little I I take a little bit of issue to. Um, I remember one time I was interviewing Colin Hanks. Listen, Colin Hanks is a talented guy, right? He directs movies. He's a producer. Um, But, you know, I remember he he shows up on the red carpet and uh I'm interviewing him a few years back, and I say, hey, what's it like, man? And I'm sure this is a, a question he probably gets a thousand times, right? And I'm, But I said, hey, you know, what's it like? You know, your dad being arguably one of the most recognizable actors of all time. And boy, did he get pissed off at me. I'm not answering questions like that. I'm not going to be talking about my dad. Well, dude, you're Colin Hanks, okay? Nobody's going to remember you or remember you as, oh, this brilliant director. It's your dad, Tom Hanks. I'm not going to ask you 10 straight questions about Tom Hanks, but I asked one and he made it like it was he's, so he's inappropriate. Of, he's tired of it. Well, then don't do a red carpet then. Don't show up to media I events think he's then. He's perfectly within his rights to react that way to uh, you if you're asking about a dad. He's very he snippy. Say, I don't want to talk about it. He was very rude. Like he's been, I mean, literally, he lives in his dad's shadow. And he's in that same industry. And you got to, you got to understand that. I mean, I understand that perfectly, man. I mean, imagine if, if my father was a, a lawyer here in Vegas, everybody knew him. He's a big shot attorney. And now I became an attorney and I'm yeah. just known as, Oh, Tommy, that's the, he's the big attorney's son. That's why, he, that's the only reason why he gets the jobs he gets. Yeah. That's the only reason he is who okay, he is. So he's just in his dad's fine. shadow. And then every time I talk to you, you go, Hey, Tommy, so any big cases your dad got? I'd okay. be like, Man, why are so, you got, so I'd be like, When there's you, a way I'd that, be like, When you try to get, uh, you know, somebody in here and they go, Oh, you, you just want my significant other on the show. You don't want me on the show. Well, you know what? <laughs> you want my dad on the show. There's a way to answer that question and treat people. If you don't want to talk about it, say, Yeah, I appreciate the question, but I really, uh, I'm here to promote 
promote my blah, 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 blah. I'm here to talk about my blah, 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 blah. And, and you know, I, I answer those questions at another time, but not right now. No problem. I respect that. It was the way that he answered my question. Like it was the most inappropriate. Like I asked him about his sex life in front of his wife, you know, like that's the way he answered the question. It was very snippy, very snobby and rude. If somebody doesn't want to talk about their famous father or mother, I respect that. Answer the question in a respectful way. I respectfully decline to answer that. You know, I'm talking about my stuff here and this, that's why I'm here. I'm here to talk about, okay, fine. No problem. I mean, I, listen, I remember, I mean, I've been in some awkward interviews in my career. I remember I was interviewing Tom Green in studio, actually, because, uh, I like Tom Green. I've always liked his show on MTV and I wouldn't say he's an A-list celebrity, but, um, I asked him about Drew Barrymore because at one time he was, married to Drew Barrymore, and he got really pissed off at me for bringing that up. And then he said to me... Yeah, it was really well known that Tom Green doesn't yeah, like to talk about that. He, well, yeah, to an extent. But he has talked about it before. And then he said, how would you like it if I asked you about your sex life with your ex? And I said, go ahead, I'll answer any question you want to ask me. And then he's like, all right, let's just move on. But, you know, some people are uncomfortable, but they also have to understand that when you're in the position you're in, people want to know. Doesn't mean you have to answer. All right, we never got to the IRS, Thomas. So we, uh, we need to do that. Uh, so why don't we take a quick break? And instead of me talking about Conor McGregor, we'll talk about, talk about, uh, the fact that there are some Republicans in office right now that want to completely abolish the IRS. He's Thomas Moskal, former prosecutor. I'm Brian Shabir. We're going to get to that story, I promise, when we come back. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. I heard were not for me Could they be true? Everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment, and work injuries. You name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams, treatments such as testosterone enhancement, and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices, office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. Hey, everybody. Are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it.
Hey everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment and work injuries, you name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams and treatments such as testosterone enhancement and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices. Office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. Zenworld Premium CBD offers full and broad-spectrum CBD oil, extracts, and capsules, which are designed to help you feel your best. Their products are sourced from the best organic hemp and natural ingredients on the market and are tested for quality, purity, and potency. They have a full range of items from health and wellness to beauty to pets. Call 725-205-9223. Visit online at zenworld.com or stop by their location at 9895 South Maryland Parkway and Silverado Ranch Parkway. Mention KSHP for 10% off in-store or use code KSHP online for 15% off. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. Welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Friday. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, I got to say, we got Thomas Moskow in studio, former prosecutor. Uh, I, these days, I don't normally agree with Republicans when it comes to just about anything in regards to policy. But I have to say, Thomas, I'm going to make an exception on this one. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, the Republican-controlled House has made the Internal Revenue Service a political target after Democrats bolstered the agency with new funding last year. Uh, $80 billion correct, over within, 10 years. Correct. Within the first week of the new Congress, a dozen GOP lawmakers have now introduced a bill that would completely abolish the IRS altogether and replace the entire federal tax code with a national 
sales tax. Uh, separately, the House, as you just mentioned, rescinded their nearly $80 billion in funding for the agency that Democrats approved last year. I got to say, um, this would cause a lot of hassle amongst a lot of Americans um, and the IRS, of course. You abolish the IRS and you just start taxing people more. I actually like this idea. What do you say? I don't know. It's a it's very nuanced conversation. It's easy to get behind abolishing the IRS and getting rid of them. The income tax code in this country, the IRS code, is the most complicated statute, meaning it's the most complicated law mm-hmm. in the world. And they change it every year. It's There's a whole industry behind just trying to comply with the tax code. And there's a whole industry behind... Uh, you know, people being able to get as many deductions as they can. And I'll tell you, now that I'm a small business owner running my own private practice, I'm delving into taxes and how I can get deductions and um, what kind of things qualify as business expenses and make sure I'm not paying too much in taxes. And it's a pretty hefty tax bill. So there's a lot of headache that would be taken out as far as com- complying and finding deductions. And what what they're proposing is that the sales tax, a consumer use tax on all goods, okay, but here's my would question. be able to replace that revenue. Say you win a million dollars in a casino. Who, who, what, you don't pay any taxes on it? What does that mean? Yeah, because when you win in a casino, it's considered income. So you don't pay any taxes on it at all? No, but when you spend that million... The idea behind it is that when you spend the million, you're spending more money on. You're right. buying Coca Cola. Yeah. You're buying hot dogs at the store. The prices on all can you imagine though because of taxes? Can you imagine Thomas all the salaries out there, all the people paying taxes, and all the salaries out there not having to, you know, pay taxes on on a salary on income? Yeah, yeah. That, that's so interesting to me. And obviously, all prices on just about everything are going to go up because of the, you know, a tax sales tax that would be proposed. Why is it you think that Democrats don't want this to happen? What are the negatives here? Well, one of the big things that the Republicans are sliding in there is this also applies to corporate income tax. Mm-hmm. So the corporations would mm. not be paying on their profits mm. and their income that they're making, which is so a lot that's part of it. <laughs> well, the, the Democrats are like, look, don't. So look, most people, they work, like when I worked in government, the taxes are just taken out of my paycheck. I'm not even looking at that as the money that I'm, that I'm making. It's different when you're running your own small business and you're, you're getting all the revenue in yeah. your bank account and you're setting aside mm-hmm. 30 to 40% of it to pay taxes on because you don't know how much you're going to owe right. and quarterly you're, and you're writing that check to the IRS. It's a lot easier. It's like the automatic millionaire says the quickest way to be a millionaire, have it automatically taken out of your paycheck in over 30 yeah. years. Voila, all but, of a sudden but Thomas, you're a millionaire. But Thomas, this isn't necessarily Man. anything new. Let me give you a little bit of history here. Um, the Republicans' Fair Tax Act, it, it's not a new idea. A version was first introduced in Congress way back when I was 19 years old in 1999. It's never had enough support to become law, but it puts forth an appealing message to those Americans who love to hate the federal tax agency. So this was proposed to an extent back in 1999 by... Republicans. And again, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I do side with Republicans when it comes to this. And I agree with the idea. Uh, now, obviously, the big beneficiaries would not be middle class America. It would be the ultra rich, the CEOs of the Fortune 500 companies and those that are, you know, make the top one percent. That would benefit them more than I think it would benefit anybody else. But uh, I just think I don't know. I, I, I just I just think this would be a good idea. Let's take this, some calls. 702-221-7283. And again, that number is 702 702- Two two one seven two eight three. What do you think about this abolishing the IRS altogether? Let's go to Cyrus. Cyrus, what's going on? Thank you. Uh, hello there. Thank you for bringing this topic up. Um, you know, first of all, um, 
you know, I'll get to that later. Uh, I was at a, like, a one of those, like, pro, like, civil rights uh, protests at the MLK statue. Mm-hmm. And even though a lot of people didn't like to see me there, uh, I met Congressman Ro Khanna from California, and he believed that we should have Medicare for all. And I told him, well, okay, if you want Medicare for all, we should get rid of the income tax. Uh, because, you know, I don't think we should pay, like, 60% of our income or something like that in taxes. I think that's too much. Agree. Uh, but at the same time, when we have the income tax, uh, when we get rid of it, excuse me, I think we should still have progressive taxation. I think we can uh, get rid of the corporate tax loopholes. I, I agree with them. We should tax Wall Street, their transactions, like the mega ones, not like the 401k one type. Right. Because... Studies have shown an extra dollar goes to a poor person pocket. The effect it has on the economy is way greater than, you know, a rich person getting an extra dollar. And here's the sad part, because a lot of these Nevada Democrats claim they're progressive. Well, here's the problem. The poor and middle class pay a higher share of their income in state and local taxes than the rich do in the state of Nevada. All right. Well, so there are some nuances too that if you're talking about a higher uh, percentage, that's one thing. But if, uh, you know, the rich in this country are not paying the same percentage in taxes, the ultra rich, the top 1%, as those that are making $30,000, dollars $50,000 a year. Yes, you make the argument. Uh, the I top, agree. The top 1% are, are paying all of our taxes, but they're not paying a higher percentage compared to a household income of forty or 50000 That is my issue with Republicans, not Democrats. I agree. And I think a lot of Republican voters, not politicians, agree with that. Right. But the thing is, the problem is when the Democrats do the progressive taxation, they're aiming at the doctors and people that make $300,000 a year. Mm -hmm. But we still had many loopholes, even under Obama. Remember, Bernie Sanders was running as a way to get rid of those loopholes. When right. interviewed Bill O'Reilly. No, you're right. You're, yeah. you're absolutely right about that. And I, you know, uh, Democrats these days. And, seem, and, the, and, yeah. and, and, and the sad part, both sides is getting it. Mm-hmm. Both sides are completely off. I mean, California has high taxation. People are leaving. Right. But then when we have red states, they have regressive taxes that hurt the poor. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, it's all effed up on, on both sides of the equation. And uh, I just hear that, you know, let's abolish the IRS and let's make things uh, e- let's make things equal for everybody on the playing field. Uh, if you're rich, you're rich. If you're poor, you're poor. But at least you're not going to have to pay any taxes. And, and you know, uh, everything is going to be a little bit more expensive. But, you know, we're not going to have the headaches. And I, I actually am for that. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. Thank you for the call, yeah, Cyrus. Sure. I was going to share something sure. else. Go ahead real quick. Go ahead. Quickly. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and again, if we're back to what you happened to you at the Ahern, one of the pet peeves I have living here is that people in this town have this notorious habit of kicking you out for doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And I've had that to me, had that, had, have that happen to me many times, even in yep. public buildings. Mm-hmm. It's just it's it's kind of childish. Well, know? Cyrus, I'm glad Cyrus, I'm glad you brought that up because Chris Wynn, uh, our co-host of the show on Mondays, was kicked out with me. He's going to be joining me on the show on President's Day, right Monday, and we are going to dive a little bit deeper into this, Cyrus. So I'll be interested to hear your take on that on Monday. Okay. Great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for calling in, Cyrus. Appreciate that. 702-221-7283. Again, the number 221-7283. Yeah, that is true, Thomas. Uh, me and Chris Wynn did get kicked out of a Republican uh, 
political event. Uh, go figure. I mean, uh, so many of these far right Republicans. I don't know. They yeah, they, they should I like the, me. I heard the story, and I was like, <laughs> I would have kicked him out ten minutes ago. Why? Why? <laughs> why? No, I'm serious. Why would you? Why? I'm curious. Why you would say stinking that? Stinking the place up, man. You're stinking the place up. No, man. I didn't. I you sat. Know? I sat there and this I didn't say a word. This, this ain't the slums, man. You but, know, throw a suit on. Put a tie on before you come. To trust me, they would have kicked. Jesus, man. Trust me, they would have kicked you me know? out. Nobody. A lot of people there. See the way I come ties. dressed into your radio show, man. I come in here, class the place up a little bit, man. You're telling me my, right? my you're telling me my outfit isn't classy. What are you talking about? No, I, I'm just I'm just imagining what you wore to this Republican event, man. I mean, I wasn't wearing shorts and a and a wife beater. I mean, I was I was dressed just like everybody oh, man. else. Why did you just say that? Now I'm picturing you in shorts and a wife beater. Look, man, if the GOP or Democrats, they want to try to get votes from the other side or independents, then you let anybody show up and listen. They, they it makes no to, sense. They, they don't need to get votes from the other side. That's not the game. Yeah, they do. They had but a terrible. Let, let's talk about this IRS <laughs> thing, right? Okay. Yes. You know, so you're you say get rid of the IRS. But how would you feel if when you went to the grocery store right now under your current situation? Yes. You went to the grocery store and everything, everything was 50% more expensive. Clothes, mm -hmm. gas, everything that you consume. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't like that. Um, you would not like that. I would man. have more money in my bank account. I would be a wealthier person because of all the taxes that I've paid. I would be a wealthier person. So well, at, the, at I, that I, moment, I, you could make the claim that people won't like the fact that everything is more expensive. It's gonna, here's the thing. It's going to change consumer behavior. Yeah. So all these businesses who, you know... When you go to the mall and you're looking at all these products that are out there, the, it is going to change consumer behavior. So these businesses yeah. are going to have to pivot. They're going to have to figure out what they're going to do. But, and there's also a whole industry behind taxes, just not the IRS. Yeah. I mean, think about the accounting industry. Understood. All yeah. these jobs that are here and there. So this is a big, it's like sea of change. I and understand. it sounds good, but there's a lot of nuance to it. I get it. it. And can you even, and you're like, oh, we'll have a consumer tax. The rich won't be able to get around it. Of course they will. Of course they will. Well, because- Here's the here's the deal. Once you start going into business for yourself and you start seeing how you can use your business to acquire things and things are business expenses, right? Mm -hmm. Business expenses are deductible. You don't pay on those, right? Right. And so they're going to be able, these are when you're talking about the top 1%, these are people who are involved. They're cross border. I mean, they got bank accounts in different countries. Mm -hmm. They have investments in different countries. They're in the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. And Warren Buffett doesn't pay any income tax, man. He doesn't. Why? Because his income what he's at, it's not even called income. Mm -hmm. He's got, because income has a very legal term to it. The way he's getting his money is through other means. It's not income. He probably pays himself like a dollar a year, like this reasonable salary. Like he probably pays himself like 60,000, 100,000 a year. And then that's his income. And the rest of his lifestyle is supported through stuff that is not income. And that's I the way you like, set it up. I know? just like, I hear what you're saying. There are a lot of different intricacies and there could be, there's some negatives, but I understand. I'm going to tell you this. You want to talk about the poor. Now I want to bring this point up real quick before we run out of time is yeah. poor people. All right. There's a lot of poor people who don't pay any taxes. Okay. Mm -hmm. They work under the table or they don't even qualify uh, for in, like they get these tax breaks because they don't even make that amount of money. They're at the poverty level. Right. Well, who's going to be hit the hardest by a, a universal sales tax on everything? They still have to go to the store and buy stuff. Yeah. Well, it's their so, fault. They don't pay taxes. It's their fault. It's their responsibility. If you don't pay taxes and now your argument is, well, now everybody's not paying taxes, but it hurts me more. Well, maybe you should have paid your taxes to begin with. Do I sound like a Republican saying that? Maybe I do. I don't know. Well, I'm just saying you're not taking in the reality of the situation. No, I understand. There's I mean, people out there who don't even have, you, let's say you don't even have a job. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're just, and you're getting benefits 
government benefits mm-hmm. to help you make it. Yeah. Maybe you're working something under the table. Mm-hmm. And now that tax, now you're paying that. I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just saying yeah. you have to think about there that. Are... So when you're like, oh, screw the rich. We want to help the poor. It's like the sales tax actually is not going to help the poor. There are there are positives and negatives. To because it. there's no way around paying the sales I tax. Am, there is no question, Thomas, that there are positives and negatives. And you bring up some of the negatives, which are valid. I'm just saying uh, I kind of like the idea if it's fair for everybody and there would have to be a lot of intricacies put in there. But it's not. Well, unfortunately, the way the taxes, uh, the IRS and the way the taxes are set up right now, not fair to everybody either. So there's negatives and positives to everything. I understand what you're saying. What do you got going on this weekend, by the way? We got to get out of here. Anything fun? You hanging out with the kid? What's going on? Anything fun? Hanging out with the kid and working, man. Working. Yeah. Working. See, that's why you're a successful I'm attorney. I'm working, man. Never a day what? off. And we're probably going to do some YouTube live. Probably going to do some TikTok live, man. Maybe we'll do a show I would TikTok love to. live on, on the weekend. I would love to do that. Why don't we set that up? Let's do that. Yeah. All right, Tom. It's been, been a pleasure. Appreciate you coming in. As always, Thomas Moskal, uh, former prosecutor, and uh, always a pleasure having him in studio. And I hope everybody has a wonderful weekend. The very um, talented sports better Chris Wynn is going to be joining us in studio on Monday. Look forward to that. I hope everybody has a great weekend. And we got a big uh, charity event, by the way, quickly. Uh, Lou Ruvo Brain Institute doing a big charity event at MGM Grand. Uh, I plan on being there for the red carpet. Uh, some big, you want to talk about A-list celebrities, John Mayer, uh, to name just to name one, uh, Sammy Hagar. Uh, big names in Vegas for that charity event uh, on Saturday. So that's going to be a lot of fun. All right, folks, that's a wrap. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. 